0: Okay, okay. Welcome to Sacred Account
1: Saturday. This is Jerry Feta, the owner, founder and CEO of Wealth Dynamics. It's good to see you all on today. I uh, hope you're having a great Saturday. So we come to you live every Saturday. I do a webinar on the Sacred Account. I've been doing these for the last four or five years consistently. Uh, and my, per- my purpose, goal and intention today is to help provide a level of financial literacy that I think everyone should have, most people don't have, right? So before we dive into this, I do want to go over a couple of ground rules as you're on today, whether you're on Zoom, whether you're on Facebook, I want to make sure you got a purpose for being here, right? If you don't have a reason for being here, it's going to be very hard to learn any of this and retain it. The second thing that I want to go over is the idea that this is difficult to understand. Okay. Money's not complicated. Money's simple, right? It's been around for for thousands and thousands of years, people less advanced than us, less intelligent than us actually invented it. So therefore we should all be able to use it. Right, we should know about the things we deal with daily, right? If I eat every day, I should understand food. If I sleep every day, I should understand sleep. If I work every day, I should understand my job, right? If I earn money every day, I should understand how the stuff works when I get it. It just makes sense, right? So that's gonna be a big thing is getting rid of the idea, which then opens up the possibility, but have the idea that money can be learned about, now it's possible for me to learn about it. If I have the idea that it can't, it's impossible. Why would I learn about something I can't learn about, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to do is remove the idea that I know this all already. I've heard this before. You know, um, it's kind of like working out. You can't say I went to the gym once I'm good. Uh, Mario says, first time being here. Welcome, Mario. It's good to see you. Um, You can't say I went to the gym once I'm good. I don't need to do it anymore. You can't say I dieted for a day and now I have achieved, you know, the pinnacle of of physical fitness. You can't say, you know, I worked on, on spirituality. I prayed, I read, I went in a session once. And all of a sudden I'm handled, no, no, no. this is stuff you do all the time, right? So the mindset needs to be, I learn about finances every single day, right? Every single day. I have this thing called the big three challenge. If you don't have our big three challenge journal, I want to offer this to you on our website, but it's a 90 day journal that you go through and every day it holds you accountable to doing three things. The first one is learning about money, right? Right? Learning about money. This is the first thing everyone should do every single day. And guess what? A lot of the stuff you learn about is going to be repeated, okay? Number of times over equals certainty. The more I do something, the more I understand it, the better I become, right? Like think about the best athletes. Michael Jordan, for example, with basketball. He shot the same shots over and over and over. That's how he got good at them. Tiger Woods, he wasn't swinging different strokes every time. He was practicing his golf stroke. He wasn't like, today I'm going to try swinging a baseball bat. No, the guy did the same thing over and over and over and over until he got good. So until you're good at finances, good does not mean, you know, good means you have good is represented by results. If I don't have results, there's stuff I still don't know. Right. And the worst ones are the ones that know and still don't have results. Guys, if I've been reading this stuff and I've been studying this stuff and I still am broke, I still don't have a sacred account. I still don't have passive income. I'm still not winning with money then that's even worse because at least the person that doesn't know yet has an excuse. Oh, I've never learned this, right? The person that's turning themselves into just an almanac of random financial information they're never going to use, that's the one that's got to be worried, right? So I don't want you to leave this being like, I have more pages in my mental financial almanac that I'm never going to use. I want you to leave this today saying, I understand what I need to do. I'm going to apply. I'm going to learn with it. And I'm going to succeed with finances now because I can Right, we, call, we talk about the top 1% and we talk about how bad it is that there's wealth disparity. I don't know if you've looked at the math here, right? but 330 million people, 1% of those is 3.3 million people. 3.3 million people are winning in this country more than 99% of the population. Guys, 3.3 million people is not a small number. Right, I would, I would be concerned if it was like out of everyone, there's two people. Then I would be like, oh, this is not a workable system. Right, But 3.3 million times it's worked at the best, highest level. That's where we're like, this is a workable system. Just 99% of people either aren't willing, aren't able, don't know. They're lacking knowledge, they're lacking willingness, or they lack ability. Right Now, if you don't lack ability, and not many people lack ability, if you're, if you're not completely paralyzed and, and can't move and can't think and can't work, then you have ability. Even in today's day and age, if you can do this with your thumbs, you can, you can learn about money and make money. Right. You literally have to be a vegetable. So the ability bar is very low. Right. Now it comes down to willingness and knowledge. Am I willing to do it? Do I know a lot of us aren't willing to do it. Right. Willing means instead of taking the weekend off, I'm going to work instead of watching movies, I'm going to study. Right. Like like for me, when I was, you know, 18, 19 years old, I, I learned in this book and it was the first time I'd ever thought of this. I learned it from John Maxwell. It's a book called Today Matters that the things in life don't change until we change something we do daily, right? Say this this applies to finances. If I'm looking at my finances and I'm not where I want to be, that will not change until I change something I do daily, right? And a lot of times changing something that we do daily isn't even necessarily adding something new. It's getting rid of something. There's got to be an exchange there. I've got to stop doing this and start doing this in order to change this. Right, so I want to set the tone with that. Right, so um, the other thing I want to cover is I do want to leave this open for questions. This is a live Q and A, so if you've got questions, drop them in the chat, whether that's on Facebook or on Zoom. If you're on the replay, put your questions in the comments. We'll always answer those back. And then the last thing I'm going to cover here is if you're not yet a client of mine. Okay, so if you're not yet a client of mine, I want to offer you a copy of my book Blueprint to Financial Freedom. Okay, and I'm going to pull this up on the screen so you can see it. Blueprint to Financial Freedom. Uh, I wrote this book a couple years back, and this is going to be, you know, for most people, the starting point, right? This is where you're going to start after the webinar. We're going to cover a lot of great info today, but we're not going to cover all of it in this short period of time that we have this afternoon. And so with that being said, we have to really jump into further learning, right? So if you go to www.jerryfeta.com forward slash B2F promo, you can get a free copy of my book. Okay, this book is going to be about a six-hour read, right? If you do a, you know, a half an hour a day, you can get through it in two weeks. If you do an hour a day, you can get through it in, in less than a week, right? But this is about a six-hour read, and it's going to go over what's called a sub-product list, like reverse engineering wealth. We look at where the top 1% at, and we go backwards, and we look at it from the starting or from the ending point of what we're trying to accomplish, which is ultimate financial freedom, what is each step we need to do in reverse engineered order, all the way down to the very first one right? So what's unique about wealth is that there is a method, right? 3.3 million people are succeeding with it, right? I just tried to show you my calculator. There you go. 3.3 million people are succeeding with money at a very high level in the United States, right? They're not learning from scratch. They're not doing trial and error. They have a playbook. They have a blueprint. Their their mom and dad left them the set of rules, or they developed a set of rules that they're going to leave to their kids and say, hey, follow this with money, so we would be foolish to say, oh, there's no way to do it. Well, there isn't no way to do it. 3.3 million people aren't, right? If we go to the top 10% of wealth, that's 33 million people. That's a lot of people, right? That's even 3.3 million people. There's 50 states in America. That's 66,000 people per state, right? There are 66,000 people on average per state in the state you live in that are top 1% winning with money. Think about that. Now, is it evenly spread? No. Like in Alaska, there might be five or six of them, right? I'm from Alaska. But in New York, there's a ton. In California, there's a ton. In Florida, there's a ton. In Texas, there's a ton. The numbers are there. The systems are there. We just have to learn and follow it, right? So one of the things that the wealthy use is what we're going to talk about today. And where you're going to learn more about this after the webinar is going to be the book. So again, jerryfeta.com forward slash b2fpromo. Okay. And then I do want to make a couple of uh, quick introductions, actually just one quick introduction. So Rodrigo Torres on my team is going to be on the webinar today. Okay. I want to bring Rod on for a quick minute so he can introduce himself. His purpose on the webinar is to connect with you uh, in, the, in the chat here on Zoom and to set up a call to help you with your goals, right? So I want to bring Rod on so he can give you guys a quick intro about himself, uh, and then you'll be able to connect with him later on the webinar. Hey, Jerry. Rod How
2: are you today, Rod? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, the two minute uh, story here is that I started with Jerry uh, a few years, a couple years back, two, 40 grand in debt, um, had everything backward, was working for a different financial agency. And um, learning, I, I read Jerry's book. I couldn't put it down. It took me about six hours to read that book. It's pretty impressive. And again, if you haven't read that book, if you don't have a copy, um, I highly suggest getting his free copy of that book. Um, that gives you, I, I've read tons of books, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Richest Man in Babylon. I'm sure a lot of people on this call have, but this is the first book where it actually gave um, sequential practical steps that make total sense and give you the truth about money. And after following his steps, I, I used the sacred account, paid off that 40,000, uh, tripled my income, and was able to get into a really good place financially. And it's been my passion ever since to share that with people. So I posted my uh, calendar link there on the chat. If you would like to get on a call and get more details on how to utilize the Blueprint steps um, to advance yourself into becoming financially free, uh, feel free to just book a call there. And I'll be more than happy to assist one-on-one after this webinar
1: awesome thank you rod so rod's going to be reaching out and i might i might check in with you if, if you guys are in the chat and i see that rod sent you a message i'll probably call your name out here and there during the webinar and just remind you to check your chat set up a call with Rod. so again the sequence is if you're not yet a client grab the book today okay again if you go to jerryfeta.com forward slash b2f
0: promo Grab the book and then
1: schedule a call with Rodrigo, right? I would like to see, you know, Rodrigo scheduling as many calls as possible. We have 30, 30 some odd people on the webinar. I'd like to see everyone on with Rod this week at some point. If you're not a client, start with the book. If you're already a client, schedule with Rod anyways, and do a blueprint consultation. Okay. say, Hey, I want to find out where I'm at. I want to find out what my next steps are. Is there anything you can do to help me to move faster? Right. Rod's going to be able to help you with that. So, again, jerryfedda.com forward slash B2F promo to schedule and grab the book. Uh, and then to schedule with Rod, reach out to him on the uh, scheduling link he's going to drop in the chat. So, without further ado, here's going to be our topic today. We're going to talk about the Sacred Account. It is Sacred Account Saturday. Of course, that's going to be our topic. Uh, but I want to talk about first just a quick refresh on what the Sacred Account does and what it is, right? So, there's going to be two columns we
0: look at here. The first column is going to be What the account does for you. What's in it for you. And then what you can do with it. Okay. Those are going to be the things we take a look
1: at first, right? So first question I want to answer is what is the sacred account? The sacred account is a specifically designed type of high early cash value dividend paying whole life insurance. So again, that's high Early cash value,
0: dividend paying, full life insurance.
1: Right? Now, you hear life insurance, and if you're brand new at this, you may be like, life insurance. Dave Ramsey said not to, and the people in my church told me no, and Sue Zorman says not to, and what about this, and what about that? This is not the normal kind you're used to. This is not the kind of stuff your brother-in-law is selling at Northwestern Mutual. This isn't your buddy that just joined that network marketing crew that's trying to sign you up. This is literally like only 1% of life insurance policies in existence are designed this way, right? So this is nothing probably you've ever heard of as this, this is your first time watching. If you're a client, you understand, you own this, you've used it, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? But what I want to go over is what it does. So this is like an alternative to a savings account. Okay. Is it a savings account? No, it's not a bank, right? It's not an investment. It is life insurance, right? So when you put money into it, There's some of the benefits. Here's what it does for you. It
0: guarantees growth. Okay, guarantee against loss. Protected from taxation. These are all the benefits it provides your money when you put into it. Uh, Protected from creditors. Protected from lawsuits. Uh, Privacy is protected. The unilateral contract, the one-way contract. Okay, we have a death benefit. We get ownership in the insurance company. We get profit sharing in the form of dividends. From the insurance company As they make money, we make money. Uh, we also have the money that we put in is fully allocated. And it's also insured
1: against insolvency at the insurance company level. Right? So these are all the benefits. Here's some of the stuff, and there's more, but this is the main stuff the account does for you. Right? So I'm saving money in an account. Right? And I want to look at like, what am I getting now? So where do most people save money? Most people save money in one of three places they're going to save it in a bank account. They're going to save it with Wall Street, or they're going to save it ironically with the IRS. Okay. What does a bank account look like? We set up a checking account or a savings account or a CD. We put the money there, the bank pays us interest, and then we get our money, you know, there and it's supposedly protected. Right. What about Wall Street? We put it in a mutual fund. We put it in a retirement account. We put it in stocks, right? We let it sit there. That's what a lot of people do. The IRS one, that's in the form of a tax refund. The average American overpays all year long on their taxes and then the IRS sends them a refund check every year. And if it weren't for that, a lot of people wouldn't save that money. So those are ironically the three places people save money the most. And those are also the three worst industries for you, the consumer and the investor when it comes to finances, right? Like this is like getting your health food advice from McDonald's, like going to these three groups. Okay. I call them the big three. They're the bad guys in the story. So let's just take a look at this. If I'm saving in a bank, do I have a guaranteed growth? Yes, but not much. Okay. What am I making in a bank account? 0.01%. It will take me 720,000 years to double my money in a bank. Okay. So I'm not really getting a great deal on that. Wall Street. Do I have a guarantee of growth? No, I don't. There's no guarantee of growth with Wall Street. With the IRS, the tax refund, I don't have any sort of guarantee about growth. Okay. What about guarantee against loss? With a bank, do I have a guarantee against loss? Contractually on paper? Yes. Right. But they're going to use one of two things. They're going to use first a bail in. Okay. So, first, they're going to use FDIC insurance. Let's cover that. The FDIC insurance is bankrupt. There's only 2% of all deposits covered by the money that they have set aside. So, if it ever needed to be cashed in at any sort of major level on a nationwide basis, the money's not there. Okay. So, I have FDIC insurance. That's also taxpayer funded, meaning I insure, you insure, that's the one paying the, the money into that system the loss against our own money. So is that really guaranteed against loss? Not really. The second layer of protection a bank has is called a bail-in, meaning they can actually just keep your money in order to keep the bank solvent. If you go to withdraw and the bank's not doing well, they can say, sorry, you can't access your deposits. Right. Third one is called a bail-out. This is what happened in 2008, where the government says, hey, we're going to give a bunch of money to the banks to keep them solvent, to keep everyone afloat. In 2008, they took that bailout money and they actually used it to pay themselves bonuses, right? Like this is like the scum of the earth, right? So the bank really, like when you look at it, in my opinion is not guaranteed against loss. I'm the one that makes that a guarantee because I pay money in tax dollars, okay? Wall Street, again, they can't guarantee against loss. There's no guarantee of anything. And with the IRS, again, it's not, usually it's not even supposed to be a savings. People use it for that you could say it's guaranteed against loss, but the fact that they took it from me in the first place was a loss, right? So this is better than that in the guaranteed against loss standpoint. Okay. What about taxation? Okay. A bank account is not protected from taxation. If you earn more than $10 in interest income from the bank, you will pay taxes on that money. Okay. The the Wall Street system is not protected from taxation. You'll pay taxes on your gains and on your interest. Okay. The IRS is not protected from taxation. Taxation is how your money got there in the first place. Right? So think about that. Protected from creditors. If you owe money to a creditor, the bank usually is that creditor and they can garnish your your account. So it's not protected. Wall Street, you know, that's also not protected. They can go after your Wall Street plan. They might not be able to touch your 401k, but if they own mutual funds, individual retirement accounts, they can go after those. Okay, and then same thing with the IRS creditors. Like the IRS is the creditor. Again, they're a creditor for the United States Federal Reserve Bank, U.S. Treasury. That's why they took the money in the first place. They okay, protect it from lawsuits. That's similar privacy protection. The bank reports all of your transactions to the government. Okay, Wall Street does too. Like Wall Street shares that information. The IRS obviously they they have it in the first place. It's not privacy protected. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to get to it. None of those three do you get a tax free death benefit. Okay. Uh, You do not get ownership in a company with the bank. Okay. You don't get ownership in in the company with Wall Street. You might get ownership in the stocks that a fund owns, but you don't own the Wall Street firm. Okay. You own firms there. There are your companies that are investing in Apple and Pfizer and all this stuff, right? Um, With the bank, you don't get profit sharing and dividends. Okay. With Wall Street, again, you can from the stock, but not from the Wall Street firm itself. Right, that's different. And then obviously, with the IRS, you're not getting any sort of profit sharing and dividend. Uh, With a bank, your money is not fully allocated. If you put money into a bank, their reserve requirement on banking right now is 0%, meaning they can literally loan out every single dime you gave them. It's not even in the vault, right? Like they got rid of it. They're using it to make money and pay you that piddly 0.01% interest rate. Okay, so it's not fully allocated there. With Wall Street, you know, it's allocated in the sense that you own the stock, but you can't grab that and get at it. And then with the IRS, like they don't have the money there in the first place, right? Like the, 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 the amount of time it's taking for, for tax refunds right now is record long, right? Like the length on that. So the insurance company is fully allocated. The money is actually in your life insurance. It's actually with the insurance company. It's not being loaned out and done other things with it. Um, the bank, are they insured against insolvency? Yes, but first they're going to do a bailout. I mean, they're going to keep your and everyone else's money like I described. The second thing they're going to do is they're going to use their, their bailout privileges, or their so, and that's after the FDIC insurance. So you can use their bailout privileges if they go insolvent, right? The bailout again is taxpayer funded, right? And then the FDIC insurance we already talked about, it's only going to insure $250,000 per account. There's only about 2% of deposits covered. Uh, and so if it was used, it wouldn't actually be effective. Okay, so the life insurance that I just described when we compare it against the Wall Streets, the banks, and the IRS plans, it beats every single one of them in every single category. This is what it can do for you, right? But it can't do this for me if I'm not using it, if I don't have it. And the only reason that I wouldn't have it is actually two reasons. Actually, maybe three. I don't know about it. Okay. We just solved that right now. You now know about the life insurance as an option. It's no longer, I didn't know about it, right? So if I didn't know about it, of course I can't use it. And that's my responsibility and my fault if you're just finding out about this today. My mission is to show everyone in the country this strategy. right? In the United States and Canada, I want everyone to know about this strategy as an option because if it's not known, it can't be an option. The second thing is you don't trust it. You don't believe it. right? You know about it, but you don't believe it's a real thing. Okay, I'm going to cover that today. I'm going to cover some of the skepticism. right? The third reason you're not using it is you don't trust yourself. It's not that you don't trust the life insurance, it's that you don't want the discipline of being on a forced savings plan. You don't want the discipline of having to save money. You don't want the, the responsibility that goes with it because it's easier just to live willy nilly with their finances and not have a plan. Okay, that's probably the main reason why most people don't have this account. After they don't know about it, they know they don't know about it, they now know, and then they're like, oh man, that means I'm gonna have to change. I'm going to have to behave differently with my finance. I can't spend more than I earn anymore. I'm going to have to save money off the top of my budget every month and put it aside into an account that I can't go spend on stupid things. I don't want that. That's the financial equivalent of going on a diet. Why would I want to do that? Well, because you care about your future. That's why. Okay. So I'm going to describe now what you can do with it. Okay. So I talked about what it does for you. Let's talk about what you can do with it. And again, we want to compare it against the bank, the Wall Street, and the IRS plan. So let's just say we have a dollar, and we put this
0: dollar into the sacred account. Okay, what's going to happen? This dollar will grow at 3 to 5%. It will grow tax-free
1: forever, for the rest of my life, Okay. Until I'm 121 years old, then they're going to give me all my money back anyways, tax free. Right. So for the rest of my life, I'm going to earn three to 5% on every dollar that I put in here, tax free on average. Right. Like the rest of my life. I want you to really duplicate what that means for the rest of my life. I'm 30, guys. So, so 121 years minus age 30. For 91 more years, this can continue growing. 91 more years. Think about that. Right. So it's continuing to grow, continuing to grow. While that's happening, this is the growth side over here, right? I can borrow 70 to 90% of my my dollar that I put in there. I can borrow against it. Okay? Now let's handle the concept of borrowing because most people have have trauma on the subject of borrowing. They borrow for dumb things. The the wealthy borrow against assets they already have to buy more assets. I'm going to repeat that. The wealthy borrow against assets that they already have to buy more assets. Now, most people might look at that and like, "Oh no, they don't always do that. They just take loans from banks." When you borrow, you need one of three things: you need cash flow, collateral, or credit. Okay, cash flow meaning I need income, I need positive income. If I get a loan and they verify my income, I am 100% using my income as collateral. Do you see that? So if I don't have income, they're not going to give me the loan. Okay. The other one is collateral itself. I can borrow against the house. I can borrow against the life insurance policy. I can borrow against the business. I can borrow against gold and silver, right? So that's collateral. I have an asset, meaning if I don't pay them back, they can take away the asset, right? And then the third one is credit. Borrowing on credit's the worst idea because now I'm the collateral, right? They're going to put it on my credit report. My identity gets harmed if I don't pay them back. So they're like, hey, we're going to basically, we're going to ruin your life if you don't pay us back. Okay, I don't like the third option so much. I want to borrow against cash flow, and I want to borrow against collateral, right? Now, should I have good credit? Yes, but I'm not using my credit as the sole source of backing that loan. Does that make sense? So why would someone borrow against their savings rather than than withdrawing it, right? Most of us were used to what? We put money in a bank account and then we, we, we take that money out of the bank account and we spend it or we use it for investments, right? Well, here's the problem with that system. It's called future value. Right, so future value means that what would that money be worth in the future? If I have a hundred grand today and I'm earning 6% on that money, right? Uh, let me just show you, show you what this would look like. Let's say I have a hundred thousand dollars and I'm earning 6% on that money. Uh, and I take that money out today, right? And I spend, it. I'm no longer earning 6% on the money that I took out. Cause I withdrew that money, right? Now, had I left that money in, let's say in 10 years, I would have hundred eighty one thousand nine hundred thirty nine dollars. I would have made eighty two almost eighty two thousand dollars just by not having withdrawn that money. That's called future value. right? When I learned about future value, I realized that every single thing that I do with my money has a cost. Everything saving money actually costs me money. Spending money actually costs me money and not just on the expense. Paying taxes costs me money, and not just the fact that I'm getting rid of money. It's what could i have on this money had i kept it and invested it that's called opportunity cost every single dollar that i has has opportunity cost attached to it what if i invested it what could i have made see when i think like this i start thinking differently i learned this you know when i was probably you know 19 20 years old in the industry with finances and i was like okay so i save a dollar and i'm saving it it didn't cost me anything but because i didn't invest it because I didn't earn that six or that eight or that 12%, saving that money actually costed me because now it didn't grow because I didn't invest it. I'm costing myself by not investing. Spending money has a double cost. I go buy, you know, a stupid new thing, a new, a new TV, right? I don't really need it, but I want it. So I buy that. That's got a cost attached to it because the TV costed me four or 500 bucks. But that four or 500 bucks that I no longer have had an additional cost, which was the opportunity cost of what if I invested that money? You see where this goes? Most people, they pay multiple costs. They pay the cost of the actual item, they pay the cost of interest because they finance their stuff on credit cards and loans, and they pay the opportunity cost. They're paying for something three times over the actual cost, the interest cost, and the opportunity cost. Right so I have to think about this because it's real that actually is what's happening. Right now with saving it's even worse there's a fourth cost inflation. Okay and then you add in taxes that's a fifth cost. Right so I have all these costs that most people are not aware of they're not thinking about inflation think about inflation last year they said it was 7 or 8%. Okay usually when they report CPI real inflation is about double. So if they said it's 8 it's actually 16. Right? So things went up by maybe 16%. That means that last year, saving hundred grand in a bank account that's paying me 0.01% was the equivalent of leaving $100,000 on a credit card with an 18% interest rate, meaning I lost that money. I didn't pay it in interest, but I lost the buying power because I didn't grow my money. You see that? It's the same as a credit card. There's no difference. And guys, that's cash. We've been taught cash is an asset. Okay. No, no. Cash is not actually like, like it's a depreciating asset. It's like a car. It goes down in value every year. If I own a car paid for with cash, is it a liability? You won't put that on your balance sheet as a liability, but guys, it's going to go down in value. In five years, it's worth half what I paid for it. Cash is no different. Now you hold on to cash. It goes down every year. That's a depreciating liability. Now you can't even write off the depreciation on your taxes like you can with a car. At least with a car, if I buy it through my business, I can get a tax write off on the depreciation. The government isn't like, yeah, dude, you had 100 grand. Now you can only buy $80,000 worth of stuff. We're going to let you write off the $20,000 loss. They don't care. Right. So that's important to grasp as a first point on this. Like it's it's not all things are created equal here. So we have this 70 to 90% that we have here we can borrow against. Okay. So all of this to tie back to why would we borrow against life insurance? When I sell an asset, two things happen. Okay, for an investor, these are the worst two things in the world that can happen. When I sell an asset, when I withdraw money from something that's growing, the first thing is I lost the growth. As an investor, I never want to lose growth. That's the worst thing that can happen, losing growth on assets, right? Like if I have money in real estate and I pull and I sell the real estate, I no longer get the growth from the real estate. Not only that, but what did I sell the real estate for? I sold it for dollars, guys. I traded a house with someone living in it that appreciates and pays me every month for pieces of paper that lose their value every year. Terrible trade. Okay, it's in it's in a life insurance policy. Why why would I pull the money out and trade that for dollars when I'm getting all this benefit and growth on my money, tax free? You see what I'm saying? Like like cash is not the thing you want to have. Like it's not monopoly. Like if you play monopoly, the game. You don't win that game by stacking up the most cash. You win that game by having the most assets on the board, trading the dollars for the assets. The more you do that, the more you win, right? If you just sit there stacking up cash, you didn't use it for anything. You're not the banker. Like even the banker doesn't want the cash. They get your cash and they get rid of it. Like think about that system. I want to pinpoint this. You give your money to the bank. You're saving it. You're like, I'm trying to keep it. I'm trying to save it. I give my money to the bank, stick it in their account. Even they know they shouldn't hang on to your money. They're like, let's get rid of it as fast as we can. What's the reserve requirement? Zero. We want to keep none of Jerry's money. We want to loan all of the money out and invest all the money because that's how it works. The bank understands that. Right? Why don't we understand that? We're we're the ones leading it with them. We can cut them out and go do the stuff they're doing. Loan your money out, put it in life insurance policies, invest it. Okay, so we borrow 70 to 90 percent of it. When we borrow, we avoid selling. So my cost of interest on borrowing. If I do this correctly, it's going to be a net effective interest cost of about one to three percent. Okay. My my money when I borrow against it still keeps growing at three to five percent because my money never actually left. I still own the asset. This dollar is still there. I did not withdraw my dollar, I borrowed against the dollar. I used the insurance company's money because I am a shareholder in this insurance company. So I'm basically telling them, hey guys, I'm I'm part of the club. Can I use some of your money and borrow it against the shares that I have here? The money that I have got in my cash stock, And they're saying, sure, they don't even want to check my credit. Right? Why? Because they're using collateral. One of the three C's, three, three C's. They gotta have cash flow, collateral, or credit. So they're using collateral, my life insurance. They're like, we don't need to check your credit. Here's a loan. Right? My loan interest expense, if I tailor this correctly, is cheaper than what my money still grows out while I'm using it. Right. So the average I'm making here three to five, the average there is four if i'm paying 1 to 3 the average there's 2 what's 4 minus 2 meaning when i when i put a dollar in and i borrow 70 to 90% of my dollar that dollar is still growing at about 4% my interest only costs 2 i'm being paid a positive 2% spread to borrow my money in the long term right people get so excited about the 0% interest loans They're like oh i got a car loan and it's 0% i got a credit card at 0% what if you took a loan and they paid you Borrow our money, and also we're going to pay you 2%. Why would I not do that? Why would I not do that deal? That's great. I would do this deal as many times as I possibly could. This is what actually happens when you use a sacred account. This is why people do it, right? Now, the other thing that happens when you borrow is when I borrow, I didn't sell the asset. What happens when you sell an asset at a, at a game? You pay taxes, right? So if I borrow, I didn't sell. And a loan is not a gain. A loan is a loan. You cannot tax a loan. So the IRS can't get their grubby little hands on my money. So when I borrow, I'm doing two things. I'm avoiding taxes legally, and I'm also keeping the asset growing, right? So I never lose the future value because again, every single thing I do with money has an opportunity cost. I'm getting rid of that cost by using life insurance, you see that? So, so when I do this example of I've got a hundred grand and I've got it saved and I'm earning 6% and in 10 years, it's going to be worth 181,000, but instead I withdrew the money. So I'm not earning 6% because I took the money out. So it's not going to be worth 181,000. What I'm telling you is with the sacred account, you can do both. I can have the money in there growing I can borrow against it and I can use it. And in 10 years, it's in this example, it still would be worth 181000 even though I used it the entire time. Do you see the beauty in that system? And I want to share with you the proof in the pudding here. I shared this on a webinar the other day, and I'm going to go ahead and pull this up because it's the dagger. It's the, it's the nail in the coffin, right? It's the thing that just, to me, solidifies this whole argument of you should be using a sacred account, right? So... I'm going to show you the number one owner and purchaser of life insurance in the United States.
0: And if you've seen this before, again, don't give away the answer yet. All right, let me go ahead and pull this
1: up, and I'm going to share this with you guys. Okay, so the number one owner and purchaser of this exact kind of life insurance in the United States are banks. Okay, the people we're giving our money to, this is what they invested. This is where they put their dollars. This was in 2016, by the way. These numbers are even higher now. In 2016, there was almost 4,000 banks in the United States that have a significant percentage of their reserves in life insurance. Okay, Over 4,000 banks. Right. We look at the list here. Here's some of the assets. Again, this was in like 2015, 2016. The numbers have increased now. Uh Bank of America, these are in, in, in billions. Bank of America has 21 billion dollars. 21 billion dollars in the whole life insurance cash value. Okay, that's a lot of money. 21 billion dollars. Like they have they have almost 2% of all their cash in life insurance. Right? Almost 2% of their, or sorry, that was the change of percent. Sorry, ignore that, the change of percent. Um, They have, uh, on average, banks have about 20% of their tier one capital. We can look at, they've got 21 21 billion out of uh, 156 billion, right? So their total bank capital is 156. They've got 21 of it there. Wells Fargo, right? While they're ripping people off and opening fake checking accounts and, and stuff in your name, they're putting $18 billion in life insurance cash value. J.P. Morgan, $10 billion in life insurance cash value. PNC, $8 billion. U.S. Bank, 5.6. Citibank, 5. Uh, Branch Banking and Trust Company, 4.2, 3.9. Guys, these are all billions in life insurance. Collectively right now, banks across the United States have over $200 billion in high early cash value dividend paying whole life insurance. It's called bank-owned life insurance. B-O-L-I, bank-owned life insurance. You can Google this. This is not just me showing you. This is actually what it is. Right. So, what does that mean? This means that the number one place that you put your money, they're putting it here. The number one place you put your money is they're putting it here into the life insurance. The banks in the United States of America are the number one owner and the number one purchaser of the sacred account. They're the number one owner and purchaser of high early cash value dividends paying whole life insurance. Right. Now, I want you to think about like, Like, where are you being told to save? You're being told, open up a checking account, open up a savings account, put money in a CD, put money in an annuity, put money in a retirement plan, put money in Wall Street. I'm probably the only one in your life telling you put money in a sacred account. Right? Think about who who developed all those other products. The the checking account, the CD, the savings account, the, the mutual fund that you save in your 401k. Who developed all of those? Banks. It, Ian says Wall Street. Wall Street and banks. Yeah, Wall Street, guys, most of them are the same, right? Bank of America has financial advisors. Merrill Lynch has financial advisors, right? So the banks developed the products that they're selling to you. I guarantee you the executives at McDonald's do not eat McDonald's. They eat filet mignon and they have organic food, right? They're not out there eating their own product. They're, they're feeding it to you guys. Same thing with the banks. They're not buying the savings accounts. I guarantee you, Jamie Dimon does not put his money in mutual funds. Jamie Dimon is the CEO of JPMorgan Chase Bank, the largest bank in the world. He's not sticking his money in mutual funds. He's not leaving it in JPMorgan financial products. I promise you that. His job is to make sure you guys do.
0: Okay,
1: we just saw they've got over $10 billion over there in life insurance cash value. So bypass the middleman. I'm showing you real data and real proof that this is what the banks are doing when you give them the money. Okay, they're doing three or four main things. The first thing they're doing is they're 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 putting the money here in the life insurance. Okay, they're also buying gold and silver. Okay, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank also owns over 200 billion ounces of
0: silver. Okay, that's a lot of silver. That's a lot,
1: right? Like that's again like excessive. That's like Dude, why do you need that much silver, right? They also loan money out on real estate. If you're a client of mine, I tell you, I don't say, hey, go buy rental properties and do Airbnb. I say, go buy real estate and seller finance it out so you get a mortgage. Why? Because that's what the banks are doing. We're copying them. Like, if you haven't figured it out yet, Wealth Dynamics just teaches you how to copy what banks do. We've got all the stuff to facilitate that. Right, like like the banks, like they own the skylines. You go to any big city, the banks are the tallest buildings, they've got the most buildings, they own the skylines. You guys pay for that. They're sticking your money in the life insurance policies. Like, cut them out of the picture, just do it yourself. That's why we're here. Right? So, so these are all things to look at, right? Like, we want to put our money there. Now, I want to go over what are some of the things that we need to be concerned about. I would, I would, I'm not even gonna call them cons, they're just like gotchas, people like. People will get into into the sacred account or they'll get into the infinite banking concept. They hear all the highlight reels. They're like, oh, I can put my money in all the stuff I just covered. But you need to understand the mechanics. There are rules to this game, right? You need to understand how it works. You need a team that's going to teach it to you. Okay, most agents that do life insurance can't even design this kind of policy. And if they could, they're not allowed to because their managers don't make enough money on it. Now, on top of that, if they could and they were allowed to, most of them don't actually know how to use it. They're not using it in their own lives. They can't teach you. Okay. So what are some of the things we need to know? Now, before we dive into that, I do want to just jump into the questions here um, and also just remind you guys really quick. We're going to do a a, a commercial break. Okay. So first thing, if you don't yet have a copy of the book, now is the opportune time to do that. I'm going to give you a minute or two just to go to the link here and grab a copy of the book. Go to jerrybetta.com forward slash B2F promo, right? This is going to give you more than we're covering today on the life insurance. How does it work? What can I use it for? Right? So go to jerryfetta.com forward slash B2 f promo, grab the book. The second thing is if you got a message from Rod, check your chat. Okay. Check your chat. Connect up with Rodrigo. If you're a client, I want you to schedule a blueprint consultation with Rod this week. Don't wait, run, like go to go see Rod now. Uh, And then if you're not a client, schedule your first visit with Rod and just let him know, like, here's my goals. Here's what I'm trying to get to. This is what I'm trying to achieve. Here's my problem. Here's what I'm running into. And Rod's going to be able to help you. Okay. So get with Rod, schedule the appointment. If you got a message from him, check your chat. Uh, And that is my quick plug before we answer some questions.
0: All right. So let's see what we have for a few questions. Uh Violetta
1: said, first time I want to learn more about Jerry and his company after hearing about him from a co- podcast. Awesome, Violetta. Thanks for jumping in today. Um, Bruce says, Wow, that quote is strong. Uh,
0: let's see here.
1: Timothy said I ordered the book it's January, I haven't received it. Timothy, send, send an email to Samantha at wealthdynamics.com on the book and she'll make sure it gets out to you. There can be shipping delays here and there. So if you didn't get it yet, usually it comes in quicker than that. So if you haven't gotten the book yet, reach out to Samantha at WealthDynamics.com.
0: All right. Let's see what else we have for
1: questions here. Hey, Scott says, doesn't the insurance company store the premiums collected in the bank too? Does their money not really be in the bank. If not, where does the bank store all the premiums, PUS, profits, et cetera? Um, so Scott's question. So life insurance companies do probably use banks for functional activity. Like you need a bank account for the general account for premiums to go into. Um, generally, they're not leaving it there in cash, right? They invest that money. They're doing uh, treasury notes, mortgage bonds. They are buying large, large uh, shares in some blue chip companies. Uh, they do real estate loans. They do private companies. So very seldom are they just leaving it in cash unless it's already considered a liability. So this is the difference, Scott. The life insurance company has to allocate the money they owe to you. So the money that they owe to a a policyholder for death benefits and cash value actually goes on their books as a liability. And that's where, yeah, they might leave it in cash, cash being a liability because they already know they owe that money. Right. So just like in my business, if a client buys money, like they send me money to buy gold, I know right off the bat they're wiring me a hundred grand. That hundred grand is going to need to go buy gold and send it to that client. So I'm not going to count the hundred grand as an asset because it's already owed to someone else, right? So that hundred, I am going to leave that in the bank because that's money that I don't get to keep, right? So the insurance companies look at that similarly. Um, what is the average expense cost on a policy? Charge on premium basis. So average expense and the cost on a policy. Um, so it's going to vary from policy to policy uh, to answer that question. So if you're setting up a life insurance policy, it's going to be based on your age, your health, and also your contributions that you're putting in. Um, so the cost on it is not so much as the factor that we look at as much as the actual growth rate. Right. Uh, what's the net growth rate? Right. So we're looking at this. And again, you're going to get two sets of growth here. You're going to get your guaranteed interest rate.
0: And you're going to get your dividend surplus.
1: Guaranteed rate usually is going to be about 3.25% gross. And then your surplus might be on top of that, you know, maybe
0: one and a half to 2%. Which means
1: a good policy should be a gross dividend of 5 to 6%. Okay. Now there are internal expenses and fees that come out of this and that's usually going to be maybe like 1 to 2%, but our our net internal compounding annual growth rate on a properly designed policy should be about 3 to 5%. Okay? So all policies are going to be different, all policies are going to have different costs, but in the long run What we look at to gauge the performance is not the internal cost. It's what's the actual net growth rate. Like, What am I actually getting as a result of this? So it should be in that 3 to 5% range. Um, And so to be totally honest, I don't look at the cost. I can't even tell you what the costs are on my own policy because I don't pay attention to that. Just like in my business, I can't tell you what my expenses were last week. I can tell you what my profit was, right? But I don't care what the expenses are. I care about what am I actually getting at the bottom. Um, So that's kind of where the focus goes on for me.
0: Let's see here.
1: So when I do a policy loan, I pay roughly 5% of interest. I believe this is simple interest. Do they charge me the interest at the end of the policy year on the total outstanding, or do they um, accrue the interest every year at the end of the month and charge me? How do I properly expense this interest paid when investing in loan funds and real estate? That's a good question. So on loans, when you take a policy loan, we'll whiteboard this one out again.
0: So the, the interest rate to borrow, the gross rate,
1: and you have to understand the difference in terminology here. Your gross rate typically is going to be 4 to 6%, somewhere in this range. Now, you're going to be like, well, Jerry, you said 1% to 3 Hang on and hear me out. If you borrow money from your policy and never pay yourself back, you will pay a 4 to 6% interest rate. So if I take a $100,000 loan and I never pay myself back,
0: I will pay... Four to six K in interest.
1: Right? So that's that's the first thing to look at. Now, one of the rules, and this is one of the things that you might think is that's a gotcha. No, no, it's just a rule of the account, is you always pay yourself back. Always, without exception, just like with a regular bank. Just because you're the bank now doesn't mean the rules change. The bank does not loan money to people and say, Oh, yeah, never pay it back. They require it, they say you need to make a payment every month, right? So when I borrow, Whatever I'm doing, if it's a real estate deal and I take hundred grand out and I invest it at twelve percent and I'm now making a thousand dollars a month in, in passive income, right? I'm going to take this. I'm going to pay my loan back. I'm going to reduce my principal. Okay, by reducing my principal, this four to six percent gets charged on a
0: reducing amount every month. Oops. Let me go back
1: to the whiteboard. They get charged on a reducing m- amount every month, and so. That means four to 6% of a smaller and smaller number. So at the end of the year, when I take my total interest cost, it's not gonna be that I paid four to 6,000 in interest. It'll be that I paid more like one to 3,000 in interest. Okay, one to 3,000 off of my hundred means that my effective net interest rate is one to 3%. Okay, so you could call this your net effective rates, NER, okay. That's going to be about one to three percent. So that's where my spread really looks good, only if I pay myself back. If you do not pay yourself back, you will have a negative spread. Your loan interest rate to borrow will always be more than your growth rate. This is one of the gotchas because people are like, oh, you are dividends and you're gonna make five or six percent in dividends, and your interest rate's only four or five, and it's positive. No, those are those are not the same things, right? The loan rate, the four to six percent, that's a gross number. Okay, the dividend, that's also a gross number. Right, but I'm not actually getting the gross number. I have to look at what's my net dividend. My net dividend is about three to five. Now, my loan gross interest rate will be four to six if I don't pay myself back and I'm going to be negative on my loan. And that's not a good idea. Now it is costing me money. Right. So I need to borrow, do something smart, take the money that I get from doing something smart and pay my loan back to reduce that principal balance so that my net effective rate is one to 3%. Then I'm at a positive spread on my loan. And also I made the money on my investment. Very good question. So that's one of the things that gets people is they don't know that. And they're like, okay, good. I'm going to borrow and never pay back. And it's just going to make money randomly and and magically. Um, Okay. My current policy loan interest uh, with One America is 4.97. I have loans for real estate deals on my policy right now. Private hard money rates are anywhere between eight and 11 with points. Policy loans are far better once you've built the cash value in the policy. Yeah, so I would say, you know, in the earlier years for sure, that's correct. I would still use the policy anyways, because it's going to be the life of the loan. So it's not going to be year one, you know, this is what I made on my rate. And then if it's a five year deal I'm doing, I don't know how long your terms are on hard money. How hard money is typically a shorter term. I don't like doing short term loans. I like doing long term loans. So I do secured seller financing real estate uh, where I make about a 12 to 14% cap. My interest rate is about 12%. And I'm going to get that on, usually seven to 10 or more years, like minimum, right? And so when I look at that seven to 10 year period on my policy, I'm positive. It doesn't matter even if the first years it wasn't. Um, I'm positive throughout at the end. Uh, Rashawn asked, can we pin the book? So I'm gonna put the book chat, the link for the book in the comments. If you go to www.jerrybetta.com forward slash B2F promo. That's the link for the book there.
0: All right, we got a few more
1: questions. Nick says, I just repaid my, own ra- ro- my loan rapidly and paid just over 1%. The evidence was of this was the amount I paid back less than what I borrowed. Yep. so he paid just over 1% in interest and he's gonna make more than that in, in dividends and interest on the policy. Uh, Bruce asked, Jerry, what about the expense charges on the policy when premiums are paid? Um, so Bruce, again, the expense charges on the policy aren't what I'd be concerned about. I'd be concerned about what's the net internal rate of return right? So you do have an insurance cost with the life insurance policy. When you set it up correctly, the insurance, like the base whole life premium is actually a unit of equity ownership in the company. That's where the dividend comes from, right? So it's kind of like saying I'm buying a real estate investment, but what about the mortgage expense? I don't really care as long as it cash flows, right? Like it's just stated that there's going to be a mortgage. As long as the cash flow, the net return makes sense. That's what I'm focused on. Um, you know, rates can change. Expenses can change. I'm looking at what's my bottom line and that's going to be seen on an illustration, right? What's my actual projected growth versus what I'm putting into it? Um, kind of regardless of the expense there. Jorge asks, do you think it is a good idea to fund your sacred account with a home equity line of credit? No. So I would never do that, Jorge. So never borrow money to put money into something you're going to borrow against, right? You've got a loan happening here that now needs to be serviced to put it here, to put it here and borrow against it again, you pay back this loan, well, you still need to pay back this one, right? So if I'm doing a HELOC, the HELOC is its own kind of sacred account. You can do a lot of the same stuff with it. You can borrow against it. It's going to appreciate. If it's a a rental, you can rent it out and get income. That's a lot of the same functionality of a sacred account. Um, So I would borrow against the HELOC to invest in something that's going to generate income to pay that HELOC loan down, right? So anytime you borrow, always do something that brings in cash flow. If I'm going to do a sacred account, I'm going to do that with cash. I'm never going to borrow to fund a sacred account. Um, Scott asks, "What do you find as the average number of policy years it takes to begin the to exceed the cost of the policy insurance itself to the point where every dollar spent begins with just PUA? I'm assuming buying as little insurance as possible just to stay under the MEC limit." Also, assuming 10 year payment. So, if you design it quickly, um, Scott, that's called your break even. So, a break even, you can kind of manipulate on a policy. I've seen policies where the break even happens in year two or year three. I've seen policies where it happens in year five or year six or year seven. I've seen policies where it happens a little bit longer, right? So, that's all based on design. There's different reasons for all of it. So, for example, if I'm a real estate investor, and it sounds like Scott, you are, then the liquidity is a big deal. I want to borrow and get as much money as possible now. So that i can put that into the next deal and so then i want my break even to be very early now let's say i'm setting up a policy for my my 11 year old godson right and he's really not going to use it for the next five, 10 years it's going to just accumulate then i don't really care about the liquidity and the break even i care about the internal rate of return because i want to look at by the time we get to the point he's going to use it i want maximal growth and i want maximal growth for the long term for him too so it comes down to like what's the purpose of the account Um, A great example is for a lot of clients, if they have consumer debt, like we'll set them up on a 10 pay schedule, like you said, where it really jacks up the liquidity, we'll get the break even as quickly as possible, because we're trying to use that money now to accelerate and pay off debt. Right? Same thing with a real estate investor. If somebody's more like, hey, this is going to be something I want to just put money into. And in 10 or 15 years, I want to draw off of it for income, or I want to put it into something else like a deal. Then it's like, okay, the liquidity this year doesn't matter as much. We're looking at what's going to give us the best bang for our buck
0: at the point they're going to use it. Is it true if we
1: have an equal expense? Savings will still result in less taxes uh, or growth correct. I don't totally understand um, that question from from Bruce there and protection to keep control of my money. Yeah, I'm doing short term loans. So Scott's doing short term loans to build new real estate and to sell and pay off the loans quickly, refi for a long term loan and then pay back the policy and proceed to cash up uh, backward. Okay, good. So that sounds like you're on track with that, Scott. Um, Okay, Bruce says net return and projection. I see big, uh aha. Good. I'm glad I'm able to help with that, Bruce. A lot of times, and this is one of the differences with doing a policy with our team, uh, we think like real estate investors because we are, like that's what we use it for. We use the policy in real life. You sit down with a lot of agents and they've never used this. They don't actually own it. So they're going to give you theory. There's no practical, right? So as an investor, like when I'm looking at, I'm going to put money in a thing and I'm going to look at over a period of time, it's going to grow to a certain number. I'm using the specific calculation of compounding annual growth rate. I'm not looking at what's the dividend this year. I'm not looking at what's my first year, which I'm looking at over the life of, I'm going to have money in this thing. What's the compounding annual growth rate? Right. And and that's the main number for me. And that's the net projection, net of fees, net of everything. What am I getting at the end that comes out the bottom? Right. Um, Timothy says, I was on the ambassador reality. I was only listening at work. I missed the explanation. How you get paid as an ambassador? Is there somewhere I can rewatch that? Um, so, Timothy, if you send me an email, I can get you that info. Jorge says, how about moving money from an IRA into your sacred account? If you're over 59 and a half since you cannot borrow money from an IRA in order to fund. Um, So Jorge, um, you could. So if you're 59 and a half, you can take money out of your, your retirement plan. You will pay taxes on that distribution, right? So again, you've got to look at if I'm going to pull the money out, what's my tax going to be? Like a lot of people don't think with this. It's like, I'm going to pull the taxes out. Well, that now counts as income this year on top of the income I've already earned. And it can bump me into the higher tax brackets. Right. So it's not always the smartest to do that. Like I would look at like, Jorge, if you specifically have this situation, send me an email, actually, or send me an email at Jerry at I would look at doing a self-directed retirement account. Okay, There's a couple options we can look at. Doesn't necessarily mean we're going to put it into life insurance, but it, it is something that's going to give you more freedom and more flexibility on that. Scott says, I would love to hear more about buying gold and earning on that gold while it sits safely somewhere. Does the storage charges eat at the money you make while loaning the gold out? Does the storing the gold safely really mean just how safe is this? How do you know gold is really there, not just paper? Um, so Scott, that's called gold leasing. So Rodrigo Torres, if you can reach out to Scott and send him our, our link on gold leasing um, to answer some of your basic questions, Scott, um, you can lease gold out for income. It does sit in storage. Once you lease it out, it does go to the lessor. Um, sorry, to the lessee, lessor lessee. Yeah, to the lessor. I think I've got the terms right there. The person borrowing it from you, it does go to them. uh, And there's not going to be any storage cost at all at that point. So there's zero storage cost. It is secure. It is is insured. It is audited. So we know the gold is there. Um, We just did a gold leasing deal with clients where the gold earns its appreciation still, but the interest on that is 3% per year on top of the appreciation. Not only that, the interest is actually paid to you in gold, not cash, right? So you're getting compounding growth on that, and you can stick that back into the lease and continue releasing it out as well. Um, so that's something that we definitely can uh, can get you set up with more info on Scott. Um, Tom says, what's the link for the book? So Tom, if you go to www.jerryfeta.com, forward slash B2F promo, okay, I'm going to put that in the link. You can get a free copy of the book, uh, and you can get started with that. So, guys, I think there's maybe three or four more questions I want to handle before we wrap things up today.
0: Um, okay, we have a question.
1: That of a question. When you borrow against the sacred account and pay it back, is there a set payback amount? And how long do you get to pay that loan back, if any? So, that's a good question from Ian. So, the benefit, one of the great things about borrowing from a sacred account is you can pay yourself back on your own terms. Technically speaking, you never have to pay it back. So, if I just want to maintain the, the interest cost and never pay my loan back, I am allowed to, right? Because when I die, my death benefit will pay off the loan, right? Does that mean it's a good idea? No, does not mean that's a good idea, right? That's actually something I would never recommend for you to do. Okay, so don't do that. You can, but you shouldn't. Now, you can pay yourself back on your own terms. If I am investing in real estate, for example, all the cash flow I'm getting from that real estate is going to service my loan with my life insurance policy. If I'm paying off debt, all of the money that I've saved by paying off that debt, my old minimum payments, those are always going to go back to paying off my life insurance policy. Um, if I'm self-financing a car or like the, the Tempur-Pedic bed that I just did with my policy, like all those kind of things, I'm going to look at what would the equivalent payment be if I did that with the bank? What would the interest rate be that they charge me? And I'm going to charge myself that and make that payment back to myself. So I like to gauge it with that, um, you know, and, and that's kind of how I go about it. But there's a lot of flexibility there. Great questions from everyone today. Okay, several questions on the book. So again, jerryfetta.com forward slash B2F promo. Rod just posted that in the chat for everybody. Um, you can u- use that link to grab the book. Um, someone's asking more about the gold leasing, Violetta. Rob, if you, or Rod, if you want to reach out to Violetta on the gold leasing as well, um, send her that info and, and we can get her something on that as well. Um, good. So guys, we're going to wrap up here. So really quick before we wrap up, Um, I do want to let you guys know that we are going to be doing an exclusive webinar on Wednesday. Okay, Wednesday, I see one more question from Scott, we'll answer in a second. Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Okay, so right now, what most people in the world are thinking with is taxes. Okay, tax filing is happening. And uh, we've got a lot of, you know, people that are getting their W-2s ready, their 1099s ready. So we're going to be doing a webinar. It's going to be this Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, on tax planning. This is going to be featuring Tax Hive, um, our partner fat tax firm. They're owned by Kevin O'Leary. If you guys know Kevin O'Leary uh, from TV, Mr. Wonderful, you probably have seen him before. So he owns Tax Hive, right? And so we're going to be doing a Zoom webinar Wednesday, Wednesdays, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time to go over tax planning, right? It's a big deal. It's a, a big uh, topic for people right now. And so we're going to give you specific ways and strategies to reduce your taxes. So I'm going to post a link really quickly for that in the chat. If you can make that webinar, that's going to be a great one to go to, and um, it's going to give you like like just an overview of what we can do for you on the tax planning side of things. It's a way to free up more money, keep more of what you're earning, uh, and be able to use that to do things like fund a sacred account or put it into real estate. Right. So again, that's going to be Wednesday, six thirty p.m. Eastern time, um, and we're going to go over the Tax Hive program. They're big on tax planning. So if you're watching this and you're like, I have a CPA, good. But I'm going to describe to you what shouldn't be happening. And if this is what's happening, then you need to be on this webinar. So what shouldn't be happening is this. January rolls around. Your CPA says, hey, send me all your documents. Send me your W-2s and everything. Or send me your numbers. You send it all in. They say, good. Here's what you owe. And then you say, wow, that's a lot. Can we reduce that? And they're like, not really, but you can fund a SEP. Or you can do an IRA or whatever. And you're like, cool, I'll do that. And they're like, great. And then they file your taxes. Then you don't hear from them all year long, and then next year, the same thing happens. If that's your experience with your tax professional right now, you don't have a tax professional. You have a desk jockey that works for the IRS. They're not proactively reducing your taxes. Here's what should be happening, okay? January rolls around, and you actually did planning last year. Your CPA last year before December 31st said, hey, here's what we think your tax bill is going to be. Let's get this as close to zero as we possibly can. We're going to do this, 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 and this. And then January rolls around and they say, Hey, remember all that stuff we did last year? We need to start reporting that and turning that in and finalizing everything. Then they file, right? Then after they file, they say, good. Now that we have filed, let's start planning for next year. And then they start planning for next year, right? Taxes should be proactive. Meaning the tax code, the internal revenue code is full of ways to not pay taxes legally and if your if you're, if you're tax professional is not helping you learn about that code and leverage all that's in it to reduce your tax bill proactively before you file your taxes, not as a reactive thing, as a proactive thing, they're doing it before, then you need to be on this webinar. We're going to be talking about how to get that in your life with TaxSive, with our tax firm. Uh, again, we're going to go through a lot of different stuff on the webinar, but that's where it all starts is becoming a client of a firm that does that for you. Even if it's not our firm, we would love for you to work with TaxSive. Right, but at least get on there, get the free education. I don't like the IRS. I don't like paying taxes. I don't like people paying taxes. If I can help you pay less, I'm gonna. Um, again, that's gonna be Wednesday, six thirty p.m. Eastern time. Um, I see one, one or two final questions I want to answer before we wrap things up. Okay, so when you're going into retirement, how do you best annuitize or recreat- create retirement payments from your policy? Interest begins to accrue as you pull to live off for, for retirement. How do you approach this? That's a good question, Scott. So that's going to be really different for every person. It depends on how you set things up, right? So um, in an ideal scene, like the income doesn't come from the life insurance policy. It comes from the assets. And again, that's why I mentioned for me, I like to do these long-term seller finance investments because I get 10, 15, 20 years worth of income out of one deal. And I can pay my policy loan back and accumulate that way. I pay the loan back, I get 50 grand available. I borrow against it and do another one. So I can stack up a good payment stream of, you know, 10, 15, 20 grand a month. And then when I go into retirement, I just say, good, I'm going to live off of this and I'm not going to pay my loan back anymore. Okay. And, And a lot of policies, as you get further into it, like depending on how many years you're in, but if it's already capitalized, I've hit my break, even some of them, the rate even goes down when I hit a certain age, then the dividend should cover the interest and I can just live off the cash flow. If I didn't do it that way, then I do need to do some planning with distributions and loan interest. And that's going to be more working with our team on, we call it mapping. Okay, mapping it out, looking at, okay, what is the right numbers? What's the math on on specifically the policy design in your scenario? Um, So that's what we would do there. Kendall says, I would like to become a client. Kendall, I would like you to become a client. That's awesome. Um, Rodrigo, if you want to shoot Kendall a message and get connected with them so that they can uh, get set up with us as a client. Uh, Mario says, thank you, Jerry. Great information. I look forward to speaking to you and Rodrigo. I'll be present for Wednesday's webinar. That's awesome. Thank you for being on. Um, Violetta says, thank you. I hope that I am for a long run and I am not a scaredy cat. Uh, Violetta, being a scaredy cat is totally a choice. I learned that early in life. We can choose to be scared. We can say, good, this makes sense. I'm going to do it. Um, so if you need more info, let us know. If you're ready to go and become a client, let us know. If you need more info, jump on more of these webinars. Again, the Wednesday one's going to be phenomenal. Um, information is always the next best thing. So um, I think that's it for questions, guys. I do have a coaching call to get on with the clients. I need to wrap up here. Um, Thank you for being on. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you guys Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m. Again, grab the book if you haven't. Schedule with Rod if you haven't. And I'll talk to you all next time.